Welcome to Thinking Like a Lawyer, with your hosts, Ellie Mistal and Joe Patrice, talking about legal news and pop culture, all while thinking like a lawyer, here on Legal Talk Network. Hello, welcome to another edition of Thinking Like a Lawyer. I'm Joe Patrice from Above the Law. I am joined, as usual, by my fellow editor, Catherine Rubino, who is uh, not, you know, you're coming to me from, from where are you? I am in the, the rugged hills of Shaolin, otherwise Ooh. known as Staten Island. Ah, well, there we go. A um, little Wu-Tang for you on this uh, summer day. So Catherine's coming to us from several decades past. Oh, come uh, on! <sighs> Come on, the Wu Tang are still a very vital, important cultural touchstone. That well, no, I, I think that's true. I, that was not the reference I was making there. Um, <laughs> but fair enough. So, what's new with you this week? I've mostly been listening to my coworker Joe Patrice complain about various bar exam administrations. <laughs> it is. It is kind of unbelievable. You know, and I know I know we've obviously covered the issue of bar exams during the time of COVID on this podcast before, but I really want to like kind of emphasize to our listeners that this is a really big problem. This is still, you know, the July administrations are largely, I guess some are, are Wednesday, Thursday. There might be some administrations still going on. But even after the July administrations are over, this is going to continue until, you know, COVID is over. Because frankly, most state bars do not have a very good or clear plan. And it's, it, it, it's really, really troubling. I mean, I think the worst problems are probably were the July administrations because those were the jurisdictions that were like, what? Super spreader events? Never heard of her. Yeah. And, and that is the, that's the real issue. The July exam, doing an in-person exam it's, in any way is probably a bad move at this point. Mm-hmm. But the issue with the July exams is that doing so right now, delays may not be enough to fix the problem, but it at least acknowledges that you see a problem. Sure. The people who went forward this week we're just willing to tell the people taking the test, we don't care right. uh, what happens right. to you. And we have since learned that Colorado has a positive test result. So we somebody, some wait, 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 wait. somebody who took the bar exam yesterday in Colorado yes. has already turned up with a positive COVID result. Has had it, had it for, for the, while they were taking it. Yeah, the reason is they did not know that they had tested positive, but they had to take a test for unrelated surgery that's upcoming and they got their results <laughs> immediately after the exam oh telling God. them guess what you have covid which is awful and we're hoping that they're right, of okay course, of course. obviously but to be clear it's not the test taker's fault right you know no, they're no, put no, no. in an unenviable situation yeah and i don't necessarily know as though i you know i mean it would be bad but i wouldn't even say it was primarily their fault even if they did know that they were had something and were asymptomatic or were getting over it or something even in that instance i wouldn't have necessarily blamed them it's the fault of the institution who right. decided to put people in this boat and create the incentives that 
force people to choose between mm -hmm. their job or, you know, going in there. But putting that aside, in this instance, this person had no idea. That's the whole problem. That's we, kind of worse. But, but we know that. We know that that happens yeah. a lot with this disease. And bar examiners don't care, right? Well, I mean, some of them do. That's why they've canceled or gone online or whatever. But right. the ones that, that went forward with an in-person July exam decided they don't care. We know yeah. that asymptomatic transmission happens. We That is a fact. We know about it. That is something you can and have build for into months. your plan. Yeah, for a really, really, like not even just like, oh, the last, like since the beginning, we've been aware that asymptomatic, you can transmit the disease. Like that, that has been a hallmark of this pandemic. So I don't know why all of a sudden, you know, these bar, and has, has what, what has been the Colorado bar examiner's response to this revelation? The response was given to our, um, colleague in the profession, Karen Sloan, who got a statement from them. Mm -hmm. And the statement was, you know, well, we were informed that uh, this happened, but, you know, we had distancing and everything, so it's all going to be okay, uh, basically. Okay. Uh, all issues that w are far fairly predictable, but the problem is it, it gives lie to the whole idea that there are safe ways of administering the exam right. under these conditions, right? right? They, they, these are the sorts of, in, of jurisdictions that patted themselves on the back for, we're going to take the temperature of everybody who comes in. Well, that's the whole point. When that you're asymptomatic, help you. you can still spread the disease and you don't have a temperature. Right. They, they, it just isn't safe. And we're doing this for no good reason mm -hmm. other than to maintain a hazing ritual, which has zero evidence backing up that it does anything to ensure the public safety from bad practitioners of law. Right. Because that uh, was another, that was a study I think came out this week that, that you covered, right? That there was a comparison between it's not even a study from this week. It's a study from several years ago, but somebody dug it up because uh, 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 it, because it, made it the applies. rounds on social media this week. <laughs> yeah, because it because it became increasingly clear that it uh, was a good idea. You know, it, were, it was relevant. What was the 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 study was because it compared what did it compare? So thanks. So it what it did was it looked at disciplinary complaints by the population of licensed attorneys and said you know, certain states have this many attorneys in trouble and this many don't. And as it turns out, jurisdictions that are diploma privilege based, like Wisconsin in this instance, don't have an inordinate number of disciplinary complaints. So they are right in line with everybody else. So there's no real reason to assume, like, sure, there are places that are lower, and there are many places that are higher. Mm -hmm. The issue is they are well within the standard deviation, the mean, yeah. basically, of a regular jurisdiction, meaning there was no benefit to having a bar exam as far as protecting the public from people who shouldn't be practicing law. And I think that's relevant when you weigh it against the idea that you have no way of knowing if somebody who has tested positive is going to be in the test, mm -hmm. uh, you know, completely unawares. This is one that we know about. I'm sure we will learn about more over the next several days. Right. This was and shocking just because it was literally the day after the exam finished. Yeah. I I, I, I mean, I pretty much had this story pre-written and I thought it would be early next week. I did not expect it to be <laughs> hours yeah. after the exam. Hours ended. later. <laughs> that That is really real. And do you know, did the bar exam like let people who were in the direct vicinity know that they should absolutely get a test or is it just everyone was given the same information? Or As it turns out, they weren't necessarily given the information by the bar. Um, oh my gosh. The bar examiners, 
because and, and they and we don't know they might have gotten that information from the bar examiners, but sure. the but a person speaking on behalf of the graduate in question shared it on social media and spread the word saying, look, we've informed the bar examiners. We're not positive they're going to let you all know. So we're telling you, you should so be aware again, that this is happening. It was on the test takers in order to keep their, their fellow test takers informed, basically, is yeah. what happened. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. That makes me feel real great. Yeah, so that's been what's happened. This is where we sit now. We are seeing increased pressure in light of all of this on the part of some different corners to, you know, put a stop to this madness. Mm -hmm. uh, the ABA is floating a proposal that would say the ABA's official position is that in-person exams need to be stopped. But it has well, some carve-out. Why, why is the ABA, we are months into this why all of a sudden now is the ABA is pressure their pressure on the ABA to make this statement? It seems like that should have been a pretty early decision. Early on, uh, the ABA was trying to kind of have play it all ways. Uh, they are a cautious <laughs> uh, institution. Sounds about right. <laughs> uh, they they were fans of supervised practice exemptions and mm -hmm. stuff like that, mm -hmm. which are but wouldn't come out and uh, say that an actual in person exam is a dangerous thing that we should no longer do. right. This draft says that in person exams should be stopped for the time being and that online exams are mm -hmm. also problematic unless they can be tested out. Unfortunately, both of these provisos have carve outs to say like, oh, but if you're able to do this and that, then you can go ahead. I think it's it's very much an there's an argument going on on Twitter between uh, a couple of people involved with this process. The argument, I don't think either side recognizes that what's going on with the other side, which is that the people defending this agreement are very, very optimistic about the ways in which it will be taken in good faith. Uh, they have these carve-outs that say, no in-person exams unless the following public health checks can happen. And the opponents say this isn't enough, and there's a breakdown there a cognitive breakdown because the proponents are saying, how can you say this isn't enough? Look at how the, all these high burdens. And I think from the outsider perspective, I'm looking at it and saying, I see all that. And I also remember that Missouri- I'll raise you. <laughs> I'll raise Missouri, you, Missouri. <laughs> Missouri, just with this situation, knowing this situation and with public health officials saying, don't do it. There's an occupancy limit. You can't do this. They said- oh, can you give us a waiver? It's the bar exam. And the public health official said, sure, I guess. I mean, it, I think they're putting way too much faith in these officials not bowing to fairly arbitrary yeah. decision-making. Yeah. Anyway, it's it's something to worry about as we go forward. Sure. Um, there are people fighting the fight to fix it, but, you know, it's a thing to worry about. You know what else what? you can worry about? If you're worried about a contract deadline, Contract Tools by Paper Software is the most powerful, versatile, and full-featured Microsoft Word add-in for contracts. For less than a dollar a day, Contract Tools can help you navigate complex legalese, fix common contract drafting problems, and much more. See for yourself with a seven-day free trial. Go to papersoftware.com forward slash trial and get started today. So. What's, uh, what else is going on? Uh, obviously, the bar exam shenanigans are uh, dominating a lot of the news this week. Well, but. I mean, not not to belabor the point, but, you know, and we kind of started this conversation with with some references to the 90s. But speaking of the 90s, I, I hear that now a bar exam is going to be over email. 
Yeah, well, there is an option for that. This that is the uh, online exams, which you would think would be the solution to a lot of these in-person exam problems, are not working. Uh, as it turns out, Michigan had an exam that was administered by ExamSoft, and that was hacked, as they put it. Yeah, uh, that it was that was one of my favorite little tidbits. Is you know, we're getting these reports that the servers crashed, people can't get in, can't take the bar exam, all these issues are going on. And they came out, they're like, oh, there's nothing wrong with the system. We were just hacked. And I was like, that seems worse, you guys. What's wrong? I mean, I don't I don't believe for a minute they were hacked. I don't know. I mean, maybe they were. I just It doesn't I just seem don't, better, though. I don't care. I just don't know what the, anybody's motivation to hack them would be. It just doesn't make a lot of sense. What I think is more likely is that they were not prepared for hundreds of people to log on simultaneously and it crashed and they're saying it was a denial of service attack but i'm not sure it was i mean obviously they well i don't know they have access to that but i think a lot of us out there are highly suspicious of the idea that this was an outside attack as opposed to just the platform not being prepared for prime time which in either event, as you put it, when you said that's worse, in either event, it doesn't bode well for the end of, for the October exams, where there's currently planned a bunch of online exams using this exact platform that are much much bigger jurisdictions than Michigan. So right. So anyway, good news. Anyway. I Indiana was using a different vendor. They were using ILG. They were trying to get the exam off on Tuesday. As of last Friday, the system crashed while trying to run a test. Bum, they, bum, then bum. De <laughs> they delayed the exam until August 4th. Then earlier this week, they were unable to, or earlier last week at the point that you're going to hear this, I guess, they were unable to make it work. So they canceled the exam for the time being uh, as an online thing and then put out a new plan to hold the exam as uh, email. So they will just well, you know. email people questions and people will res reply with answers. Makes my little, you know, 1994 heart very happy, I suppose. But it, it does seem a little bizarre. Yeah, no, they will have no proctors or anything and no ability to do that. And they're gonna, therefore going to make it an open book exam. Which, I mean, uh, frankly, we've, we've said on this podcast before, but is far more analogous to the actual practice of law than trying to memorize all the exceptions to hearsay, right? Like, that's just... That's just an every Absolutely. My hope is that this is going to be kind of an absolute grading situation as opposed mm -hmm. to some kind of scaled or curved test. Oh, sure. Which would make it really unfortunate if everybody now has open book and it's curved. Hopefully it's not, uh, and a lot of people can pass. I don't know why you don't just give diploma privilege at that point, but whatever. Uh, meanwhile, Nevada was planning to use ILG as well, and they had been kind of cagily moving their exam around so that Indiana would go first mm. and they would get the benefit of those guinea pigs. So now they're out of uh, an exam platform. ILG is intended to be the online provider for Florida and I believe New Jersey. So we're looking down the road at two very big jurisdictions that are going to, are planning at this point to use a platform that has not worked so far. So Yikes town. Well, yeah. I mean, the other kind of big story is also about COVID hubris. You know, there was the, a very large Australian law firm, HWL Ebsworth, which you may not have heard of, but is employs over 850 attorneys in Australia over 1,200 employees total. 
And in the midst of all of the, you know, working from home orders and closures beginning in early March, their managing partner said, no, 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 we're not going to close. They came out and said, well, we think it's bad for people's mental health to work from home and not the office. So they mandated that everyone had to come into the office every day. Our friends at Roll on Friday uh, had some insiders at the firm and they said that from the insider's perspective, it seemed like it was more of a technology issue and that their, their tech wasn't really ready for prime time or for working from home, as the case may be. And so they, you know, continued to have everybody come into the office for months. And now their, I think it's their Melbourne office, is the site of an outbreak. Yeah, there's, a, there's an outbreak. And I think local, um, oh, what are they calling it? Oh, a key outbreak site. That's what local health officials are calling the office. So that's a really yeah. great idea. Not great. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, and this is going to be an issue. And, and remember, that's a country that is more on top of things sure. than this one. Sure. Yes. <laughs> yes. And, you know, well, I think it just goes to show you that as good at, or poor as whatever leadership in countrywide leadership may be, you still have to make smart decisions based on actual facts and not just what you want them to be. <laughs> you know, the same way the bar examiners, you know, have to, to be, should be forced to deal with the fact that they are, they are suborning super spreader, potential super spreader events. It's the same sort of situation where people just think that they're, well, that's not going to happen here. Why would it happen here? And then a couple months later, health officials are calling you a key outbreak site. You know, it's not good news. Speaking of it can't happen here, have you checked, I, I assume you have, because I assume you're an avid follower, have you checked Donald Trump's Twitter page right now? Because he has a new pinned tweet at the top. I don't know if it's the pinned tweet, but I believe it was today when he said that we need to postpone the election. Yes, that is now pinned at the top mm. of his profile. So uh, it's not like, while there are some who tried to play it off as, oh, he's just making a joke, pinning tweets to the top are yeah. probably not how you make jokes. So yeah, he um, yeah. has asked to delay the election. Can he do that? I mean, he can say whatever he wants, I suppose. Can he postpone the election? I don't think he can. The correct answer is no. That that is right. I was like, he I don't, do I can't see where that power would come from. I'm sure Bill Barr will come up with some argument as to why he can and will, but but I can't. Not not that I can see. It's actually fairly outside of his power. It is a congressional statute that says that the exam that the exam. Ha! <laughs> I'm already uh, down that road. No, that the election will be held on the day that it is held, and it can only be changed by a new statute. Uh, I am assuming that the House of Representatives under its current leadership would not do that. I will also say that Mitch McConnell has straight up said that they will not be delaying an election already. So it seems as though there's not much appetite for that. But unfortunately, that's where we are now. Uh, everyone's getting a, a little crash course in uh, how the powers operate. That said, uh, there is, you know, a uh, guest of the program on a few occasions. Professor uh, Rick Hassan has a book out, which everyone should read. We talked to him about it when he first came out with it back, God, it seems like forever ago, but I think it, it was, was only February. It was one million years uh, ago. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, but he has a great book out about the ways in which people can undermine the course of the elections. And This seems know, like it's the, right at the top of the list of ways to undermine the election. Yeah, I mean, this is kind of a silly one that can't come to pass, but there are other options. There are ways in which one could say that with 50% of the vote in, 
and none of the mail-in ballots counted, have governors of certain states just go ahead and certify the results based on not having all those results in, Mm -hmm. things like that, which would be really troubling for democracy. Uh, They are technically legal options, though, and so that's why Rick's book is worth a revisit. Yeah, it's... It's pretty pretty scary time to be alive right now. Yeah, I mean, I don't mean to bring on some existential dread right now. It's just it supposed to be a podcast. It wasn't supposed to be this deep, but here we are. As I have a t-shirt that says embrace the existential dread, I support that. <laughs> With a kitten on it. Why well, wouldn't and have a cat? That seems accurate. I mean, I, I feel like that's what defines existential dread. And I say that as a as a cat person. Fair enough. But I like that we managed to talk about existential dread without talking about sort of, and I know one of our regular columnists, Liz Dye, has written a lot about this, but the sort of situation in Portland, you know, you're you're from there. It must be horrifying yeah. to watch from a distance. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. sure. Okay. Okay. You're <laughs> talkative, yeah. are we? Did you not, were you not aware that this was a podcast and we talk? That's, uh, uh, that's I, I, I am aware. I, I mean, it's- what we do here. Yeah, I mean, it's just kind of, at this point, barely over. Uh, The governor has negotiated a withdrawal of the DHS forces from the occupying forces from the city. So looks like things are going to start getting back to normal, hopefully. Obviously, things can change. Also assuming that those forces don't just get deployed to other American cities. Right. I mean, I guess there's that too. But yeah, so... That's where that sits. Uh, another lesson in separation of powers, much like uh, we discussed when we were talking about mask laws a few weeks back. Oh, right. Yeah. Huh? That happened. <laughs> I guess that wasn't on this show. That was on our special reports show. But so, that's that. Well, I, 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 guess... just didn't, I, I just was fully, based on the things you said, I was prepared to engage in a deeper discussion of Nietzsche and existential ah. dread, but you're- uh, What are your thing- thoughts about Nietzsche? Yeah, no, uh, no, no, go ahead. You, you were going to say something. Well, I was going to kind of switch it to a little bit of, of COVID-related, slightly good news at least. There were reports this week that a number of big law firms have either reversed in, in whole or in part their salary cuts that, that were instituted sort of at the height of the- pandemic, you know, March, April timeframe, some firms have started either reversing those in their entirety. Um, Ogletree is another law firm that they have decided to give out bonuses for particularly high billers. Um, also, Baker Botts is also doing bonuses. Um, and they also push back on some of their, their cuts. Those bonuses in both instances are sort of hours-based or productivity-based, which, you know, kind of sucks because one of the big problems, of course, is that, you know, there's no work to no work to do. It's not sort of the fault of the associate if there's no work in their department at the moment. Right. But it is at least a sign that the financial health of the firm is much more stable and, you know, has much more positive outlook than we had a couple of months ago. It's a sign at least that things are starting to turn around, even if they're not as good as they could be. Yes, it's exciting news, and usually we have uh, a round of follow the leader whenever people start announcing bonuses, Mm -hmm. so it's going to be interesting to see if anyone feels compelled to follow the leader on this one. Sure. You know, my my kind of take on that is that we're not going to see the sort of typical follow the leader bonuses because the very top of the big law heap did not cut salaries. You know, the, the biggest of the big law firms 
for the most part, stayed away from salary cuts. And I think that these bonuses are not going to really get anybody over the top of where they would have been absent a salary cut. So I don't think there's really any pressure on the on those who haven't cut salaries to do it. And I think those that, that have cut salaries that, and may not be in a position to make those additional bonuses. I, I, I don't think anyone's going to kind of get the, you know, they're not going to harm their, their sort of planning if to make a bonus. I don't think unless they actually do have the money to do it. So it'll be interesting, but it's a little bit different as much as we like to say bonuses, who's going to have bonuses next? Like I, do, I don't expect, you know, Cravath to make bonuses because they never cut their salaries. So although there is a tier of firms that did and so sure. I guess follow the leader around them. Sure. And, and, you know, I certainly hope for the sake of, you know, the folks who had had to deal with the salary cuts that it does come to that. And, and I do think it, it portends good things for the overall health of the industry and those firms which I think is important. So hopefully, you know, we get there, but it's not going to be as feverish as it, as you know, as past year bonus announcements have been. So with that said, another week of legal news in the, uh, in the can, I guess. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. it's, it's halfway through the summer. It can, it's only going to get better from here. Right. Right. Please tell me, right. That, se- that seems Sound like something you can't really promise. <laughs> like in like a month from now, you play that clip and you're like, oh, she had no idea. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks everybody for listening to the show. And also thanks to Contract Tools by Paper Software for sponsoring the show. You can check them out at papersoftware.com. You should be subscribed to the show so you get new episodes whenever they come out. You should be reading above the law. You should give reviews to the show, stars, write write something up. Uh, just having text there like helps the algorithm know that we're a legal podcast that people want to hear. Uh, you should be following us. I'm at Joseph Patrice on Twitter. She's at Catherine One, the numeral one. You should be listening to our other shows. We have a special reports show about COVID and the law called the ATL COVID cast. We also have the Jabot, which Catherine hosts talking about diversity issues in the law. And there are many, many shows more than I can name off the top of my head on the Legal Talk Network that you should be checking out as well. And with all that said, we will talk to you later. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. You can also find us at AboveTheLaw.com, ATLRedline.com, iTunes, RSS, Twitter, and Facebook. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.